You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits and Final Rise. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 48 of the Upland Rookie Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Final Rise. If you're just getting started or a seasoned Upland hunter and looking at some new gear for this fall, I'd highly recommend checking out the Final Rise systems. I've owned my Summit vest for about three years and I have had it through many bird hunts, training sessions, Nastra events, and I have beat this thing to the ground. It still is in the same condition as the day it showed up on my doorstep. American-made vest designed by a guy who is just like all of us. Give Final Rise a serious look at finalrise.com. Trinity Bretons is the home of the Epignole Breton, also known as the French Brittany. All Trinity Breton dogs are from champion bloodlines that are field tested and family approved. For over 33 years, Trinity Bretons has worked to offer you the best bred Epignole Breton in the country. Check them out at trinitybretons.com. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Trinity Bretons. Gunner Kennels. I've personally used and tested every major kennel brand on the market today. After months of hands-on experience, Gunner is the only kennel I'll use for my favorite bird dogs. Man's best friend deserves man's best kennel. That's a Gunner kennel. Anook Shook Professional Dog Food is the highest energy dog food in the world. Anookshook's dense formulations ensure that your pup in training and your seasoned bird dog get what they need to succeed in the field. Anookshook works hard so your dogs can work harder. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, hopefully, your dogs are doing well. And uh, hopefully, you guys got out there this past weekend and did a little training or um, just ran the dogs a little bit. Uh, I know I've been in full-fledged uh, swimming mode and get my dogs swimming a little bit, and uh, as well as getting them uh, getting them biking. So I've been putting on some miles, which has been really fun. Um, I still have not done uh, the two dogs on my bike yet, so working up to that. Win is finally um, she's coming into her own a little bit, figuring out the bike. Um, so the other day we we probably had our, our best run on the bike and. She finally kind of figured out like, hey, the, the name of the game is to run straight. <laughs> and so uh, making making steps with that, again, she's she's a young dog. She's only been on the bike a few times. And so, um, yeah, we're figuring that out. Um, it's fun. It's fun to kind of, you know, I got so used to Gage, uh, you know, just, I don't know. I just, it, just, it clicked for him really quick, I guess, or maybe the learning curve, I don't know, wasn't as long for, for him and I, or maybe I just forget what that was like. And so... Uh, going back now with a younger dog, you know, starting kind of from ground zero, uh, with something new like this and introducing the bike, it's, it's different. It's, it's kind of brings you back to like, okay, I got to remember 
all right, what did I do with gauge? What worked? What didn't work? And so we're, uh, we're going through those baby steps, uh, right now with wind. So, um, yeah, if you want to learn more about, uh, you know, biking your dog or what, at least what I've done with, with biking your dog, uh, go back and check out, I think it's episode 46. Uh, I did a whole episode on, uh, biking your dog. So bike, Jorine, Caney, bike, Jorine, Caney cross roading your dog, whatever you want to call it. There's lots of different names. Um, you can check out again, what, uh, what, what I've done, what's worked for me and, uh, get a little taste of, yeah. If, if that's something you're, you've wanted to try or get into, I'd recommend going back and checking out that episode. I think it was pretty fun. Um, so couple things for everybody. Um, I have, uh, I still have this, this nasty cough and cold. So if I, if I sound a little stuffy, nasally, if you hear a cough, something happens like that, don't worry. Don't, don't be alarmed. <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're mid summer right now. Um, I know myself and I'm sure a lot of you all are, um, are looking to the fall and we probably all have September 1st marked down on our calendars. And, uh, I would just encourage you guys to actually start setting some plans. Um, I mean, on one side of the coin, sometimes the best plans are, are no plans and, and just kind of winging things and just kind of going by the spur of the moment. Uh, I've definitely done that. That's, that's worked for me sometimes actually pretty well with schedules and, you know, surprisingly I might have a couple of days pop up where, where it's easy for me to get away. Um, but for the most part, I mean, having a plan, having an idea at least, and, and starting to block out some days on the calendar, um, are going to be super helpful when it, when it comes that late August, maybe early September. And, you know, it's just going to give you kind of that encouragement to say, okay, I've already talked to some buddies. We are meeting up. Here's the plan. Here's where we're going. Um, it's going to give you that, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's going to, that kind of that accountability maybe to get you to get the truck packed, step out the door, hit the gas pedal and go and just drive and go, uh, accomplish your goal. Maybe you have a goal of hunting a new state this year or, or chasing new birds, whatever it might be. Um, so I, I would just encourage you guys to start thinking about what your fall's going to look like. You don't have to have all the details nailed out and we're going to drive here and stay here. Like you don't have to get that fine yet. But start kind of dreaming and planning. Okay, what are your goals for this year? Is there a bird that you haven't harvested yet? Uh, There's some some new country you want to explore. Like start thinking about what those things are, because um, the summer is going to go by fast. I mean, we're almost in July, 2022, and it's going to creep up on us. And, and September is going to be here before we know it. So um, that was kind of unplanned, but I wanted to just, just kind of encourage us to start thinking about what our falls uh, are going to look like. So, um, that was that I've got more things for you. Um, guys, we're approaching 50 episodes uh, of the podcast. Um, we're on episode 48 right now. Uh, episode 50 is coming up here in just a few weeks. Um, I'm probably gonna take a little short, short break, just like a one week break, maybe over 4th of July. You never know. I might surprise you. No promises, though. Um, anyways, um, I have a really, really cool guest uh, coming on for episode 50 as a, as a 50th episode celebration. So um, you guys are definitely going to want to stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, I'm not going to ruin the surprise. I'm going to keep that uh, kind of in, in the uh, under wraps 
for right now. So episode 50 is coming up. We've got just a few more until we hit that, uh, that milestone. And, uh, I wanted to say thank you guys. Um, just one more time for, uh, just your, your support in, uh, engaging with the show really. Uh, sure. You know, sharing a show on so like that, that's awesome. That's, that's so cool to help get the word out, but the engagement that, um, that I hear from listeners, um, whether it's, you know, reading some reviews that you've written on, uh, you know, the podcast platforms or through messages, through emails, uh, phone calls with some of you, geez. I mean, some of you know, <laughs> we've, we've gotten to talk on the phone several times and text message and, and whatever it might be, uh, just talking bird dogs, uh, hunting, hunt planning, young dogs, um, you know, different breeds and learning from each other. Um, it's been so much freaking fun, uh, engaging with you guys and just seeing your excitement. Um, I thought it was a good time as well to, um, I'm a big believer of having clear vision, clear goals, um, for whatever you're working on. I, I, this is big in my work, um, the Madalena work that I do and just kind of always keeping people inspired, keeping them, uh, keeping the mission in front of them at all times. Cause you go by a couple weeks, couple months, whatever it might be. And people are going to lose sight of what that goal was, what that vision was. And, uh, and so kind of translating to the, the podcast side of things, you know, I started, this podcast um, really with two kind of tracks in mind. One, it's one is to connect with those new upland hunters. Um, I've been there. I've done that. I was the new uh, adult onset hunter who was figuring things out on their own, scared, nervous, awkwardly asking questions, trying to be involved in things trying to hang around old guys, trying to find a mentor. It was hard. I didn't know where to go, where to hunt, what to do, um, how to interact with people, how to train a dog. Like there were so many hurdles I had to overcome. And um, so so track one is really connecting with and being a community and a voice for those that are getting into upland hunting or want to. Maybe you've never done it yet and maybe you found this podcast and said, hey, like this is giving me some steps. This is broken things down for me a little bit further to understand, okay, this is how, this is why, this is what to do. This is what not to do. And so, so that was track one. Track two was the totally opposite side of the spectrum was to connect with those, those veteran hunters, as I, I like to call them yeah, veteran hunters who, who may, I like to say, maybe have been doing this longer than I've been alive or maybe have been doing it five more years or, or 10 more years than, than I've been doing this. And, and bridging that gap between those new hunters and those veteran hunters and um, re-inspiring those, those hunters have been doing it a long time. Those, those field trial guys and girls, those um, bird hunters, those uh, breeders, whatever it might be, um, that you know we can get so caught up in the mundane and the day-to-day of your kennel you're running or your own bird dogs that you're taking care of or um you know the breeding program that you're doing like we can get so caught up in just the the day-to-day things and so my hope was for this podcast to to inspire and reignite some passion in those people as well and from where i'm sitting in my garage in uh, southern Denver, Colorado, is I, I've seen both those things happen. I've seen those those new hunters, those uh, guys and girls who um, have just gotten into this and said this podcast has helped them um, just get clarity. It's helped fill in the gaps on some things as they've uh, wanted to get into the bird dogs and maybe trialing or hunting wild birds and just figuring 
things out. Now, I've also heard from those veteran hunters who, you know, have, have maybe heard an episode or, or, you know, been listening for a while that have said like, this, this was a really good, good piece. And that guest had, had this to say, and that really encouraged me or never thought about that, uh, you know, that training method that way. And so seeing those two polar opposite sides of the spectrum, um, uh, it's, it's what's kept me going. It's what's kept me, um, here at the, behind the desk in the dark garage, uh, putting out these episodes, sitting down with people, um, you know, I have, I have a full-time job, I have a big family and, uh, it is, it is just purely out of love for upland hunting and my bird dogs that, that keeps me going. And, um, so I, I don't want to ramble too long here, guys, but that is why I, I'm doing the podcast still. This is why I'm coming up on episode 50. This is why I'll continue uh, doing this going forward. And so just a thought it'd be a good reminder to kind of take a pause and share, um, you know, uh, yeah, just a little reminder of, of what this podcast is about, kind of the goals and the mission of, of why I started this show. So thank you uh, for uh, hanging along for the ride and uh, engaging so well with the show. So, um, okay, moving on. Uh, just uh, one more thing is um, I've talked about the Patreon page that I started um, a while back, maybe a month or so ago. Um, so uh, yeah, join Patreon if you're not a member, if you want to support the show in that way, um, go uh, patreon.com slash the Upland Rookie Podcast. Um, but I wanted to mention, uh, I'm doing a really cool giveaway uh, with Gunner Kennels. Um, so Gunner Kennels, I have sitting here right next to me a Gunner Fan Kit 2.0. So a Fan Kit 2.0 from Gunner Kennels. This just released um, a couple months ago, maybe two or three months ago, uh, kind of towards the end of spring. And I, uh, I'm going to be giving away this uh, fan kit. Um, it has an incredible battery, um, all new in, internal hardware, so it's all stainless steel. And so this thing can get uh, get wet. You can, I think on Gunner, you know, on their website, you can squirt a water bottle in the fan and it'll spray, you know, cool water um, in, into the dog's kennel. And so, uh, this is a really robust, uh, system. They've upped the battery life, the charging capabilities. It's a really, really slick, um, system. So, um, this is gonna be perfect for summer training and also heading into, uh, like I talked about September, October hunts, those things get warm. Um, I always have fans for my dogs. And so Gunner has put out an incredible product, uh, with the fan kit 2.0. So stay tuned for details on how you can enter to win that. Um, I'll be doing a giveaway through my social, <coughs> I told you the coughing was going to happen through my social media. And, um, so you'll have all the details there through Patreon though. You are going to get a lot more bonus entries into this giveaway. Um, this is going to be a, a, maybe one of the bigger items that I've given away on the podcast. Um, so standard entries across all social media, but Patreon is going to get you a lot more bonus entries. So basic level, I think two more entries, uh, name goes in the hat two extra times as well. And then the, the mid tier, your name goes in the hat five extra times and the top tier name goes in the hat, I think 10 extra times. So, um, if you want to get in on, uh, uh, this giveaway and up your chances, stay tuned. I'll be posting, uh, more info on the giveaway soon. And then if you want to up your chances to take this, uh, Gunner fan kit 2.0, uh, head over to Patreon and get signed up over there. Okay. That is all I had for today. Um, our, <clears throat> Our guest today is Brett Wanacott. Brett Wanacott uh, and I started chatting there. Actually, I was introduced to Brett 
through Jared Haddock. Uh, Jared Haddock is out in Utah. I did an episode with him, I think, uh, 30, episode 34. And uh, so Jared introduced me to, to Brett and started following Brett and chatting with him about doing a podcast. And it just so happens that Brett uh, also just wrote a novel. Uh, it's called A Millionaire's Dream. And so we get into the book he wrote as well as just learning uh, all that Brett has going. Honestly, I, there's so much I learned personally uh, about Brett in this uh, interview as well. Um, just some really cool things with youth education and and get, uh, exposing them to the outdoors, hunting, fishing, and just uh, hearing about his awesome bird dogs that he's got. Uh, runs in Nashua, but uh, Brett is a diehard wild bird hunter. That's his heart. That's his passion. And so uh, we're going to dive right into episode 48. So Brett, uh, we're going to jump in here. Why don't you uh, put us on a map and tell us a little bit about who is Brett Wanakot? Oh, I hate that question. <laughs> I know it's loaded. It's loaded. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm from Northern Utah. Um, I'm a, I'm a hunter first and, um, I, I've been privileged to, to, uh, to, to do a television show with my friend Adam a little bit for, um, we do a couple episodes a year. It seems like these days, um, I've been, uh, running in NASA trials and, um, uh, do, uh, some demonstrations for the DWR and some seminars for the Utah DWR. Uh, I do, uh, I, I traveled around to different high schools and do an FFA program where I introduce a bunch of kids to pointing dogs and what they mean. Um, and at the same time, uh, teach them a little bit about the hunting hunting's role in the uh, American model of wildlife management. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, I, I want to hear a ton more about that. Actually, what you just said about some of the mm -hmm. high school stuff you're doing and the DWR, but I got to ask you. How was it being on television a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about, talking about a millionaire's dream? Oh man. So, <laughs> I, saw so your, that, I saw your post on that. I was cracking up. So that's, that's my novel. And, and I'm pretty comfortable as an outdoorsman and I've done a fair amount of TV, but this was live and they put me in this TV studio. I'm not used to being in a TV studio. I'm used to being with a bunch of sweaty dudes out hunting birds or something, you know, they put me in this TV studio with these, uh, there was actually four gorgeous women all dolled up in high heels and pretty dresses and smelling nice. And it's just a little out of my element. I wasn't even sure it was like a, a housewife's morning show, which is all cool and everything. Cause I've been trying to get the book a little outside of the hunting community too, sure. but uh, it was, I was so nervous. I don't even know what I said. I, 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 I went on and on, I guess. And eventually it, we got done with it. I walked away. And I was like, Oh man, I'm so glad that's over with <laughs> one of those sigh of relief as you walk yeah, away. Yeah. And book sales went up. So Hey, <laughs> look at that. It worked. <laughs> that's anyway, was, was yeah. this local, was this local news in Utah? Yeah. So it's okay. uh, Salt Lake. Uh, it was ABC's affiliate here in Salt Lake city. Hey so. man, you're moving up, man. That's, that's a big <laughs> deal. <laughs> it was pretty wild. That is, that is anyway. super, that super cool. Well, you gave me a good <laughs> chuckle when I, and I saw that the other day. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'd be so uncomfortable in that like this. I'm comfortable in like chatting with someone like I'm, yeah. it's, it's very natural, but something like that. I'm like, eh, <laughs> Yeah. It's funny how different it is. I mean, well, and, and the other thing is it was live, right? So yeah. I'm used to the, the power of editing and, uh, 
man, there's no editing. And I knew that going in. So I kept thinking, don't say anything bad. Don't say anything. You know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, was, another, it was quite the experience. That's another, <clears throat> another dimension for sure. Um, yeah. so, so why don't you back up a little bit? Um, that's actually, I didn't know that about you as far as some of these things with the high schools you're doing, introducing them to pointing dogs and outdoors mm-hmm. and things. Can you talk a little bit more about that and kind of what you're doing and, and how that came about? Yeah, I'd love to. So I'll back about, oh gosh, I guess it's been about eight or nine years ago now. Um, a friend of mine that, that I run in Astro Trials with, uh, she had a daughter that used to come out and help quite a bit. And her daughter was, was very active in FFA. And she thought it would be pretty cool if we brought the dogs to school and talked about it. And, and actually, it, it started out with she wanted me to come and talk about mallard vocalization. I'm a duck calling champion. Mm. And at the time, I was blowing a call a lot. Anyway, so we went and did the, the duck call thing. And then the teacher said, well, it'd be pretty cool to see some dogs. And so we put together a little dog demonstration and it went pretty well. And we did that for a couple of years, just at one school. And then I met a teacher from um, another school and it just kind of, it just kind of boomed. Wow. Um, I, I did like five high schools a year ago. I only did three this year because I had a bunch too much going on at work and stuff. I would have liked to have done a fourth and fifth, but anyway, so it just kind of grew and, and we've been doing it ever since. And it kind of grew into this, this, what is hunting? And cause a lot of these schools are, they're becoming more urbanized or, and even one I went to this year um, was really urbanized mm-hmm. and those kids had never, they wanted to, what, what blows your mind is you pull these pigeons out. So the dog demonstration I set up, so, I, so, I hide. Wait, wait, pause real quick. Sure. So you're bringing, yeah. you're bringing your dogs and live pigeons. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so the way, the way I do it is I bring, I go into the classroom first and usually I take a guest with me. I try to find somebody from the division of wildlife resources or one of the conservation organizations that I'm involved with and, um, someone who will bring something to the conversation. So it's not just Brett, you know, sure. and, um, and we go in and we talk about uh, hunting's role uh, in American wildlife management, the Pittman-Robertson Act and, wild, you know, all that stuff, um, Duck Stamped Act, all the things that are super important to the, the wildlife that you and I know today. And um, while we're doing that, the dogs are just roaming the classroom and they're making friends. And, uh, of course, I never met a kid that didn't like a dog, at least not very many of them. Um, anyway, and so the dogs are, you know, getting their ears scratched and everything. And then we go outside um, after I introduce them to the dogs and talk to them about what the dogs do. We go outside and I bring live homing pigeons and we hide pigeons and let the dogs find the bird. Um, I do it in such a way that the dog, so I'll set the dog off, you know, 35, 40 yards um, after we've hidden the pigeons. Because, uh, you know, if you hide the pigeons in front of them, they cheat. Sure. Um, <laughs> you don't want to model that for students. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, so we hide the dog and then hide the bird while the dog's hidden and then bring the dog out. I set it at, whoa, at 35, 40 yards or whatever. And I come over and talk to the classroom or talk to the class about what's going to happen. And, and then we turn the dog loose and the dog comes flashing across. And if I set it up in a good way, that dog will just you know, slam point right in front of them. Mm. And, um, it's, uh, I don't know if you remember the first time you saw a dog point. You, I do. I certainly remember my first vividly. And so they, the interesting thing is, is they're, 
as interested in the pigeons as they are the dogs. And so they all want to, they all want to hold a pigeon and pet a pigeon. And I dizzy the birds when I hide them. So I don't have to use, I don't like to use launchers because I think it creates, well, the dogs don't look as good. I mean, honestly, sure. so I, I dizzy them and and hide them and they all want to put a pigeon to sleep. And anyway, it's, (laughs) it's quite the, quite the interaction and the experience. It's, it's uh, one of the most rewarding things I do. That is phenomenal, Brett. I did not know that, that you were, you know, doing that program and, and going around to these schools. Uh, I think that's, I mean, what an experience for these kids getting able to see that firsthand really. Yeah. And I wish it would spread a little bit. I wish there was, you know, in other States, I wish some people would kind of catch on to, to that and and maybe give it a try themselves. I mean, you have to have some pretty well-behaved dogs. Do your dogs live in the house with you? Uh, I would say mostly outside, but they, they'll mm-hmm. come in the house here and there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. See, my dogs are house dogs, so they're used to that sort of interaction. And of sure. course, when they're puppies, I take them in crowds and yeah. socialize them in that way. So they're really they're quite natural. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're quite natural in that situation. Yeah. To them, it's around, you know, 16, 20 kids and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's playtime. Everyone pet me. And- yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's 50 kids or something, oh, you know, it can be a wow. bunch because oftentimes the teachers, when I'm coming, they'll bring in other classes and, you know, oh, I to, bet. And is so. it, did you say, you might say this is high school or middle school, high school, high school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is phenomenal. And so you're, you're, you have, it sounds like you have a pretty good connection with some, maybe some Utah DNR folks as well. And they're yeah. coming in sharing a little bit more about, you know, hunting. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they, they have a, you know, a better take on wildlife management. That's what they do for, for a living, you know? So, so it's fun to have them. I mean, I had one of the, uh, waterfowl management areas, uh, Rich Hansen, he's the manager of Ogden Bay and he came to, to Clearfield high school with me. And then mm-hmm. I had the director himself, the big cheese of the mm-hmm. DWR who volunteered to come to, um, Wasat, or excuse me, Cedar Valley high school uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and he was fascinating because he's in charge. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's phenomenal. I was, I was super impressed that he was willing to take time out of his busy schedule to absolutely to, to do that. So anyway. that's so cool. Hey, would you mind, I, I was just kind of thinking as you're talking here, you know, there's gotta be some people out there, maybe they're new to hunting, new to the uplands. Would you mind talking, just kind of give a brief overview on one, the importance of the duck stamp, and also yeah. the Pittman-Robinson Act. Would you just kind of give a, a high-level overview sure. of what those are? So um, the Duck Stamp Act was the act, and I think it was in maybe, uh, forgive me if my dates are wrong, because I yeah, haven't no. studied the Duck Stamp Act for a while, but it was in the 30s sometime, I think the mid-30s, maybe 34 or 35. Um, Congress passed an act to, uh, it, all hunters would have to buy a duck stamp in order to hunt waterfowl in this country, and all that money would go back into wetland conservation. And, um, it was done because hunters were concerned about the declining, um, populations of, of game animals. Mm. Um, and, um, after that happened, there was a, in 1937, which is the act that I'm much more versed on in 1937, the Pittman Robertson act passed. And it was back then it was known as the wildlife restoration act. Um, and what that did is it put an excise tax on firearms and, um, ammunition, and so that's still going today. So when you go out and you buy a shotgun, you're paying an excise tax that you don't even notice. Mm-hmm. And when you buy a box of shells, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're paying a tax on that box of shells. That money goes into a fund at the federal level and then is allocated to states. Um, and they, the federal government matches 75% to 25% of state funds. Mm. So say you and I, we raise a bunch of money and we want to make a pheasant habitat project out somewhere. And we 
you know, we, we've got 25% of the funds we, we could put in for, for matching federal funds and the state would probably help us. And anyway, we, we could come up with, we'd only need 25% of the total money, if that makes any sense. Yeah. 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 So it's huge. Um, it is. And, and we, is it, is it, you, you might know, is it not, it's not just shells and ammunition, right? Is it other merchant or products that we buy for hunting? Yes. Back in that day, it was, it was all just ammunition and, and, and firearms, I believe. And it wasn't just sporting arms. I mean, if you bought a pistol, it's the same today, but now it's on archery equipment. And I believe there, mm. <clears throat> there was another act that was passed that put it on fishing tackle. So, mm. um, pretty much everything you buy for, um, hunting or fishing, uh, has some sort of an excise tax on it. That's put into that fun that goes back into wildlife. And we don't even realize that as hunters. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think people do. I, I mean, if you're, especially if you're just getting started or maybe you've been doing it for a while, just, you might not really hear about it and, and know kind of the benefits of what's happening. Yeah. I've been hunting all my life. And I think I was probably 40 years old before I realized the magnitude yeah. of, of that one single tax. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of knew about it, but sure. You hear about it here and there, but and is that, I is that something really understand set, it. that's set for, I mean, is it set forever basically? That, that well, act. An act, it would take an act of Congress to, to change it, I believe, yeah. but hopefully, yes, hopefully <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty, yeah. I, I can't remember if it's, I heard it was like, it was un, an untouchable change or if it was, it was pretty locked in. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I think it's amendable, but okay. the cool thing is, is that in order for States to participate in that program, license hunting license cells have to go back into conservation. They can't be used for, for any other purpose, oh, which cool. is the other really amazing thing that that act did. And, um, I mean, I don't want to bore everybody with too much all this stuff, but no, but, that's good, but it, I, it's pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That's something I haven't gotten into mm -hmm. too much on the, on this uh, shows here. And I think it's fun to kind of hear about that a little bit and especially from someone that has, has a little bit of knowledge in it. So, yeah, we, we should have, we should have a little bit more um, understanding of that as hunters and, and certainly, you know, make sure that it sticks around when we vote. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very cool, Brett. Um, let's get into to a little bit of your story. What, I mean, tell me, did you grow up in a hunting family? Like, did you start hunting when you were older? Like, how did that kind of come about for you? Yeah. So, um, I was blessed and my parents were divorced when I was a baby and my dad was a hunter and my stepdad was also a hunter and a fisherman. They both hunted and fished. And so I kind of got this, this double dose. Uh, I go to my, my, I called him my real dad on weekends and he raised German short haired pointers. And so I'd play with puppies and learn about bird dogs and all that kind of thing. And then my stepdad, he was, he was a fisherman and he liked to hunt waterfowl. And so, um, and I think, his love of waterfowl probably was more to do with us kids wanting to be involved in waterfowl than it was his, his own thing, but, <laughs> okay. but, but he'd certainly enjoyed it. And so I kind of got this double dose of, of, uh, of bird hunting and, and even some deer hunting and elk hunting and fishing, lots and lots of fishing. So I just kind of grew up all the time doing it. And, um, it's, it's fascinating to see this day and age where so many guys didn't grow up with hunting and fishing. And, and it, when I first started learning about it and I was helping some people who didn't have any, uh, any knowledge or, you know, background in it, I couldn't believe the, the little things that they didn't know that I just took for granted. You know, I mean, I got my first pocket knife when I was five, I think I was shooting a BB gun at 
maybe five or six and, you know, it just went on and sure. on. Had a shotgun since I was 12, you know? <laughs> so it's, so it's just so weird. Things, and, yeah. Things have changed. Yeah. But yeah, but man, it is such an uphill battle for people just getting into it. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated and, and, and I can put myself in their shoes and see just how difficult it would be to hunt grouse when you don't know what a grouse looks like other than in a picture. Sure. Yeah. If that, if, if you know, if you that. know that, I mean, yeah, grow, a little bit of my story, not, not to yeah. talk too please. much about myself, no, but like, please do. I, you know, grew, you know, grew up fishing, fishing and deer hunting a little bit here and there with my, my dad, my uncles, and that was fine. I didn't get into upland birds until much later in life, maybe 18, 19, something like that. And started hunting on a preserve with my dad. And again, just in my, my view, I guess I thought there were pheasant and I've heard about quail. That's it. That's the only like upland birds I ever heard about. And, you know, getting into this now, fast forward, what, you know, 10 years after, um, you know, the first time I heard about what a grouse is, I was like, what's a grouse? Oh, wait, there's multiple species of grouse. Like, you know, oh, there's different species of quail versus just the black and white Bob whites. Like our views expand so much outside of kind of what our, our views were and blue again, just blew my mind. Like sage grouse yeah. had no idea what sage right. grouse was five years ago. And I would say my evolution was similar in the, you know, as I, as I became an adult, really a person with a driver's license and could go, I mean, I hunted pheasants in my hometown right out the back door growing up, but, um, I started my, my dad was a pheasant guy. I mean, if it wasn't pheasants, he, and to this day, he still is, if it's not a pheasant, I mean, he might go, but sure. it's not cackle and he's not that interested. <laughs> Doesn't have so, that pole. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, I started chasing um, Hungarian partridge, one of the first species I started chasing on my own. And then that kind of evolved. I knew about grouse from deer hunting, of course. And so I started chasing grouse and learning about them. And, and then I, you know, started chasing chuckers about that same time or maybe a year or two after. And that really created a wild, you know, <laughs> a wild man. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know that my, my dad and my stepdad had the vision of who I would become. But. Yeah. yeah they, know, they know the monster they would create. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but anyway, oh, that's, so. that's so fun. And w- where'd you grow up? Did you grew up in uh, Utah? Clinton, yeah. Clinton, Utah. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. There's 30,000 people in Clinton and not a single farm today, but back then really? it was, it was really normal for, for, yeah, for, we just hunted in the back and, you know, back in the farms behind the house. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you kind of look at, we've kind of touched on this maybe a little bit, but when you kind of look at, I guess, the landscape of hunting today and whether it's waterfall, upland, whatever it might be, like, are there any, I guess, challenges you think that it, people have to overcome getting into this, this sport that we love? Is there, do you think do you think the numbers are on the decline or do you think it's, it's going in an upward direction as, as for what you're seeing here in Utah, we, we have a hunter numbers are increasing, especially bird hunting numbers, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the last few years. I mean, I don't know what the pandemic did to people, but it put a bird dog in every house, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that's a good thing, sure. but it's also, as long as they're not in my spot, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, so that's the other, the other thing is guys like me, we've had these hills to ourselves for, you know, for many years. And, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's challenging to, uh, you want people to become a part of it, but you, again, you don't want them in your spot. So, yeah. so I think that's did, did, did you feel, did you feel that, some of that pressure this past couple of years? I've always, I mean, I've, I've been helping people get into, you know, upland game bird hunting for as long as I can remember, um, even before I heard of R3 or any of that. Um, so I've always helped and I've always sort of kept, I, I mean, I guess I don't mind saying this, but there's a, there's a few places that 
I don't talk about. You know? <laughs> sure. That's your right. That is your right. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, it's, it's challenging because especially if you're, I mean, I'm for, more fortunate probably than some, and I get to hunt an awful lot. And I, I go to a lot of different places and I know lots and lots of places to go at this point in my life. And, um, so I'm not too worried about, you know, the one hill that I take a guy on for the first time and he has the, the chucker shoot of his life or the, you know, the grouse hunt of his life. And I don't, you know, I don't worry too much about, about that anymore, but I know that a lot of guys do. And even, even the little, um, the little outdoor show that I, I call it little, his show's awesome, but the, my, you know, I help him with the bird hunting part of it. That's all yeah. I do. And it, it's just, a, we, you know, it's one or two a year. Um, even that we get some hate comments sometimes about, sure, you sure. know they recognized a ridge we were on or think they <laughs> oh, did gosh. you know or i recognize that, that tree yeah right <laughs> and and that's a that's a public land thing right if it was sure. private land it might be a little bit different sure. yeah I, I get that for sure yeah. well when you think back of this past season what were what were maybe some of the key takeaways that you i guess you walked away from last season maybe some learnings maybe some highlights uh, as you you reflect back on there are some some key moments for you yeah. So we've had some challenges here in the West and I, I don't know what it's like. I think you're in Colorado, right? Yeah. Um, here in Utah, we've, it, it's been super drought and I think Colorado is probably the same. Yeah. So we've had some, um, some pretty bad hatches with certain game birds mm. and chuckers are one of those birds. Now mm. that's not to say there aren't, you know, healthy populations on some mountain ranges sure. and, and not others. Um, but I started as I was moving around to different mountain ranges, like I always do, I started seeing scary low numbers of, mm. of chuckers. And, um, I th I've done this before. Uh, and I, I guess I never really thought too much about it because it was usually in bountiful years. And sometimes I just, you know, don't shoot just cause I like to watch birds fly. Sure. Um, this year I did a lot of putting young dogs on birds and not pulling the trigger. Um, you know, you get cubbies up at three or four or even seven or eight and just watching them fly. Um, and I learned that, uh, there's something cool about that. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's me evolving as a hunter or, sure. um, I mean, I'm a killer. Don't get me wrong. I like to kill yeah. birds. I like to put yeah. birds on the table, but sure. for whatever reason, there was something, um, that was, I don't noble about it. Maybe. Mm. I, I don't know. They're just, just yeah. letting, letting those birds just fly away because I knew that they were in short supply on those, on those ranges. Yeah. So, I mean, other ranges I shot birds and, you know, <laughs> had a good time, but <laughs> sure. But, sure. Yeah. But, but, but there's uh, also something special about like, you know, whether it's noble or what, or, or enjoyable still it, watching your right. dog, watching a young dog, like you said, find a bird, point a bird, hold it. Right. And watching the flush, like there's still yeah. some enjoyment to that. Oh, oh yeah. And you don't have to kill every bird for a young dog to, you know, for the lights to kick on. I mean, you know, it, the young dog I was bringing up, he came along just fine. And he's, he's, uh, well, yeah, I call him rock star. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good anyway. thing. That's a good yeah, thing. Anyway. Yeah. So that's good. It's, that's all, good. it's all good. But that's, that's really what I came away with probably most that's of all. Cool. That's, that's a great learning. I think that's a great learning for a lot of us out there. Mm -hmm. uh, what, uh, I, we're going to get into trialing and, and Nashra and yeah. some of the things you run here in a little bit, but when you kind of compare how many, how many days are you trialing versus hunting a year? A rough, rough guesstimate. So I'll just put it this way. I, I run in field trials cause I have bird dogs. I have bird dogs because I'm a hunter. Okay. Um, I'm a hunter first. I, I, you know, if I gave up trialing, I could probably be just fine with going fishing or whatever, yeah. but, um, I couldn't give up hunting. It's in yeah. my blood. 
Nice. So nice. So yeah. So yeah, trialing, cool. trialing just pushes it further. It extends sure. the season in some ways. It, it makes me train my dogs, uh, mm-hmm. to a higher standard and, um, uh, and it gives me a, a social, there's a social element there also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 As you probably great discovered. People. Yeah. yeah. Great, great people I've met as yeah. you know, so many good connections and, and again, just picking up on learnings and in different perspectives and 100%. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, it is. Let's let's chat about some of your dogs. What, what kind of dogs are you running right now? How many you have? What what are their breeds? And then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. I think I'm supposed to say Brittany's on this show, right? (laughs) That's only if I send you a check before. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. I forgot to do that. I didn't, I didn't see anything in the mailbox. Um, It's on the way. It's on the way. Fair fair enough. I I actually had a Brittany once and he was an amazing dog. Yeah. I knew the only reason I probably, (laughs) <laughs> the only reason I didn't get another Brittany was probably because he was so good that I always felt like I might hold a, another Brittany to his standard. And he was a freak in nature. And I don't think sure. there's ever another Brittany like that one. Sure. Um, anyway, uh, I, I run English setters most of the time these days. All my dogs that I currently have are English setters. Uh, I fell in love with the breed when that Brittany got old. A friend of mine had a, um, a pair of setters that I'd hunted over a little bit and I, I kind of liked them. And um, I, of course I was in denial that my Brittany was ever going to get old. Cause he was my best bud. Sure. And, uh, anywho, he, uh, he, I came to my senses and, and he, uh, he gave me a pup out of his litter as my first setter. Hmm. And I really just liked that dog and his, everything about him was, was, he was just great. And so I've had setters ever since the dogs I currently run. So there's tick, um, and tick sort of, a uh, he's sort of everybody's favorite, <laughs> Uh, he's, he's living on a pension at this point, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's in retirement. Um, okay. Living his, living his there's, best life. Yeah, living out his, his, <laughs> yeah. his pension. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he's everybody's favorite. When I go to a school, uh, everybody loves tick and always Brain has, tick. I, I, yeah. I don't know what it, what it, yeah. Um, people talk about him, you know, everybody, where's tick. I, they say, hey, don't you own tick? They don't know my name, but oh, cool. <laughs> that's he, cool. He's, he's that dog. So, and then I've got a, uh, 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 another dog behind him that's named Sonny and Sonny has been, um, uh, just the dog of a lifetime, especially mm. in trials, mm. but as a wild bird dog too, she is just a phenomenal dog in all my life. She's the best one that I've ever had. And probably really? I could live the rest of my days and never have another one quite really. Longer. Wow. Yeah. There's just so many wow moments. You know, uh, I've had dogs that, you know, most dogs will give you a wow moment once in a while. And when she was in her prime, it just seemed like it was wow all the time. Mm. She was just amazing. Mm. Um, she's 10 years old. So she's fading out a little bit now. Mm. And then I've got a young dog named snaps who is the antithesis of Sonny. Um, he's does everything wrong. Um, he's, I have worked my tail off trying to just turn him into a bird dog. And then, you know, we, I had to work even harder to get him to be anything successful in trials, but he's four years old and he's, he's actually competing fairly strong with what he has. He doesn't have a lot of natural gifts, but, um, and he's, he's my buddy. So when I buy a dog, he's, he's my dog for his life. So I, I never sure. give up on him and, uh, he'll, he'll be a champion at some point. He's only yeah. three points away from championing in Nashville. Oh, nice. Nice. So, for so, a- anyway. amateur or, or total for amateur? Oh, champion, in, or? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. In, in regular, oh, right, uh, okay. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So regular, cool. whatever. I don't know anything about amateurs okay. stuff. Um, we don't do that here. Okay. Um, but, uh, and then I've got a dog behind, him who is 
Um, I, his name's Rocks, and we, we call him Rockstar. And he is, um, I really like what I'm seeing out of him. And his, I think he had, I think in his fourth run in Nastra, he found six, I think it was six birds. He found enough birds he won. And wow. it was a lot. Wow. <laughs> so that's awesome. and, and it, it scored on all of them. So he, he's, he's really a nice, uh, a nice dog. And, and I'm, I'm looking, if I don't mess him up, I think he's going to be really good. So that's, <laughs> that's the four that I have currently. That's okay. awesome. It sounds, sound like some great dogs right there. What, well, um, <laughs> well, are they the best dogs always your own, right? <laughs> of course. Of course. They, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they do everything right. <laughs> no. Right. No, no, no. Um, are they, are they related? Do you kind of like stay in the same line of dogs once you find a line or do you kind of branch out and just find what you like? Yes. So tick is not related to any of them. He's, he's bred a little bit different. He's more, um, he's at a Nastra hall of fame stuff. Um, goes back to some old Nastra dogs, um, boomers, boy, junior, and, um, uh, I'm Dick too. Um, those old, you know, champions of, of old, um, but, but he's, he's, I haven't, uh, he's the only one I have from those lines. The rest of my dogs are out of sunrise lines. And I've really liked, hmm. um, the, the, the bird dog you get from sunrise lines, not, okay. not just the, the Nastra dog, but the, the wild bird big running, uh, stamina, all the, all the things and, and rocks he's out of sunrise lines. Um, he's out of uh, tease Nickelback. He's a direct son of Nickelback. We probably don't know anything about setter lines. I, I, I don't, I know, don't you know, but I know, I know there's some setter setter fans out there, so I'm sure they they'll appreciate it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so rocks is out of tease Nickelback and he's, he's, uh, tease Nickelback bred to a, uh, Aaron's hidden shamrock bitch. Okay. And that, cross is really a neat cross mm. um and i've seen a bunch of these pups from from that uh, female dog by nick and another female dog that i think she's a sister of uh, anyway and they're just man so natural and so gifted and, and if you've ever had a really natural and gifted dog it's mm. it's it's uh it certainly makes you look good as a trainer Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. You, you like to show that dog off a little more <laughs> that's right so. is that sunrise line does that go do they have some history in Nashville as well? Um, well, sure. I mean, Tacoma Mountain Sunrise was the, you know, he's like the highest producing stud of all time. Oh, wow. He, yeah. So they all go back to Tacoma Mountain Sunrise and, um, you know, there's been some other stuff bred in there, but okay. uh, when people say sunrise lines, that's the dog they're talking about. Mm, that's cool. So, what, so what is it? It sounds like you're all in on the setters. What, did, what is it about the setter that, that keeps you coming back for more? Well, um, they, first of all, they have an off switch. So mm. around the house, my dogs are house dogs. So they're perfectly happy and content being couch potatoes and laying on the floor, um, while you read or watch TV or whatever. And, um, they, uh, I really like that about them. I like the fact my Brittany, he was a little bit nippy and, mm. I don't know. In fact, I know I couldn't have trusted him doing the things mm. that I do with, with my setter. That's not to say all Britneys are like sure. that. It's just that particular dog. And my short hairs were, um, my short hairs were, were great bird dogs, but I don't know that they were as personable. They, they were, you know, just machines, tough, tough bird hunting machines. Anyway, I like that I can take them around kids and the kids maul them and hang on their necks and pull on their tails. And, 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 you know, it can be three kids or 300 kids. They don't, seem to skip a beat they're they're comfortable with it uh and then you put them in the field you put them on the ground and they turn into this bird finding machine uh i love that about them uh they have a super soft at least mine do 
all the ones I've had, I've had a super soft temperament almost to the point where a lot of guys uh, that run pointers or, or, uh, you know, German short hairs, they could be heavy handed enough because they're used to that to maybe ruin a good setter. Um, setters really get their feelings hurt easy. Mm. Uh, I know some Britneys do too. Yeah. Right? from what I understand. My Brittany yeah. was not like that, but, but I understand that a lot of them are. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I like that, that, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm not a heavy handed trainer. I'm, I'm very sure. patient, easygoing. So I like that about them. Yeah. That's too. great. I love that. Well, uh, with someone with, like you, who's, who's honey, as much as you are wild birds, trialing, uh, when you're, when you're picking a puppy out, like what are some of the things I guess that you're looking for when you are picking a puppy? So I want to, I want the litter first, right? Pick the litter. And if you pick the right litter, everything else is, should be. That's good advice right there. Yeah. People say pick the litter and then pick the pretty one. Uh, and I, I, you know, if you got the right litter, that's probably decent advice. Simple as Um, that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm like everybody I've got puppy voodoo and I like to, I like to watch the litter and look for a dog that's carrying his tail high and his head high and he's confident, but not a bully. You know, I don't want a dog that's, that's picking on the other puppies all the time. Maybe he's a little bit independent of the litter. He walks away and spends some time. And, and most of all, he appeals to me. Um, when I picked rocks, this young pup, I was fortunate to spend about an hour for about three weeks in a row with that litter. And, uh, I pretty much had the choice of the males and I mean, I had, it came down to these two pups and they were both just really nice pups. And the other one was actually the better looking at the two. He had some really nice patches over his brown, you know, like, what do they call it? I call it orange, but he had orange patches over both eyes and Mm. it's kind of just a handsome dog. But I like, I picked rocks because he was funny. He entertained me. He was always (laughs) like flipping stuff around and be, he's like a comedian. (laughs) And I thought, man, and it was of course, 2020. And I I said, man, we need a little laughter in our life. We need a little little goofball. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he's every bit of that. He is just a clown all the time. That's but fun. Anyway, so yeah, those are those are fun yeah, dogs when they when they can yeah. make you laugh and bring you bring you a little extra enjoyment. That's always fun. Yeah, yeah. Because some awesome. of my two of my setters are pretty serious, so <laughs> it's nice. That, like all it's business nice to have a clown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Brett, would you would you kind of walk walk me through? I guess when you're think when you have a younger dog, um, I guess what's kind of your uh, process with, with like exposure, uh, tr- maybe training, let's say, let's take the first six months, like so first six months of a new dog you, you get, what are, what are you kind of doing with that pup when you, uh, when you have them? So some of that depends on the time of year, of mm-hmm. course, but first thing I do when I get them home is I get them settled into the house. They're going to be house dogs. So I get them settled into the pack. I introduce them to the pack. You know, we, um, become friends or usually the older dogs, or at least one of the older dogs won't like them. And, um, you know, you, one of them, sometimes, you know, sometimes they become friends right away. Sometimes it takes longer, but after a couple of weeks and that dog settled in, then I start doing some simple things. Um, I like to lay them on their, I like to put them on my lap on their back and rub their bellies and play with their feet. Um, it's super important with a long haired dog to be able to handle their feet without mm. a pulling away and yanking into a ditch later when it's cold and you're trying to pull a cocklebird out of their foot or something. Yeah. Um, so I, that, that's a huge step towards, I mean, if you, if you only did one thing with a small puppy and you did that, I think it would help you a lot. Sure. Um, from, from that point, uh, I start, you know, if the, if the puppy's pretty bold, I start tossing pigeons for them. Mm. Um, and just in the backyard, yeah, I've got, sure. you know, a, a coop you know, some racing homers and I'll go out and just show them a bird and play 
tug with the tail a little bit, you know, and then just toss it and let them chase it. And, mm. and that's, that's my first introduction. And I, I might do that well, as much as I feel like, really, I don't worry too much about overdoing that for the first little while. And once that's done, then I take them out in the field and sort of do the, a similar type of introduction. I might not put them on birds, but I'm going to show them a bird and let them kind of chase it. And, um, it just, you know, you want to be careful not to let a young puppy get wing slapped by a bird, but that's the only thing I would caution people. Uh, then I teach, um, I really like a dog. I, I don't, you know, I don't do horseback trials or anything. Mm -hmm. So I really like a dog to check back and cue off of me a lot more than maybe someone who was running all age stuff or something. So I, I do a lot of work with, um, I teach them to quarter, um, when they're just real small and it, it, when you've got a little teeny puppy, that's too small to run away from you. This, and it's really, you know, a little bit, um, I don't want to say timid because they're not timid, but they're, they're super concerned about where you are most of the time when they're young. And so you can just whistle and point in a direction and walk in that direction and they'll turn and fall with you. Um, and then you whistle again and point in another direction and walk in that direction. I'll do that a bunch. You can do it at the park. Uh, you sure. can do it wherever. Um, and before you know it, you got a dog that not only quarters naturally, as my friend calls it, he calls it quartering naturally, but I think I taught it. Um, anyway, <laughs> and he, you, you, you cued him, you cued him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you've got a, a dog that obeys hand signals. So oh. if you are hunting pheasants and you need a dog to get in the ditch, it's super easy to, mm. to relay that to an older dog to get into a ditch. So it's everything you do is a foundation for something later. Yeah. Um, if I, if I'm in an Astro trial and I need my, my dog, he hasn't covered a part of the field yeah. and I, he's coming back to me, uh, because he's done that since he was a pup, he's looking at me for a cue. I point right and he turns and bends mm -hmm. right, you know, and that's, um, for that, handling. That can be really handy. Yeah. Help you a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it can. So if you need them to hunt a ditch, you know, yeah, I, I teach the word ditch when I'm hunting mm -hmm. pheasants. So if there's a ditch in an astro field and you know, sure. sometimes dogs will run over that ditch and they won't get down in it. Anyway, it, there's a lot of little things like that that come from that simple puppy exercise. Yeah. So I hope I explained that well, but yeah, that's yeah. if I, you know, if you could do one thing with a, with a puppy, it'd be rolling yeah. over on his back and play with his feet. If you could do two things, it would be that. Yeah. So, Do you, when you're, I guess to go a little further with the quartering, yeah. are you starting yeah. on a check cord and, and checking them with a check cord or just there's, free roam? Uh, there's, there's, there's no need. Yeah. They're so small. I mean, we're talking, you know, 10, 12 week old. Puppy. Oh, so young, young. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And from there on just do yeah. that exercise all the time. Um, I, I try I like a check cord. Check cords are good for some things, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't, I, I try to get away from check cords mm -hmm. as much as I can because, uh, well, they're a pain, <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't really, they are kind I, of a pain. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, you know, I think when I was a younger trainer, I think I, I used a check cord as a little bit of a crutch, mm. um, more than I do today. Okay. So going forward, once that's done, uh, you start to see a dog in the backyard pointing butterflies and pointing sparrows if it's mm. summer and, and that sort of thing. Then I'm going to go out and put them on birds. Okay. And, you know, that'll start again with, I've been tossing birds for them. So they know what sure. a bird is and, yeah. and now I'll show them a bird and toss it. And then while they're off, you know, chasing that bird, I'm going to stick one in a bush somewhere mm. close to me. And I try to use some strategic a sagebrush or, you know, here in the West, we have a lot of sagebrush. Sure. Uh, I try to use an obstacle in the way on the uh, downwind side of the bird. So if the puppy just breaks in, it, uh, it doesn't catch it right away. Cause I really mm. don't want to 
uh, some people don't worry about puppies yeah. catching. I don't want a puppy to catch a bird if I can help it. Sure. It's not tragic, but I don't, you know, I, I just assume not. And then I have a fort. Um, I have a piece of conduit, a piece of half inch conduit that I took a piece of quarter inch brazing rod and smashed it in half, stuck it in the conduit and then, well, just tack welded it and then opened it up like a fort, like a, like a Y. Okay. And I, I use that as a, to launch the bird because, oh. um, I can get that out in front and get the bird up in the air quickly. So the dog comes oh, in, he wow. smells the bird. If he points, um, it's a lot less intimidating to put a stick in front of him and pick that, you know, pop that bird up in the air yeah. than it is to try to walk out in front of him. So oh, I do, I do smart. a lot of that. And, and I haven't seen a lot of guys do that, but that's one of my Cause favorite. You're, you're not using traps, right? Or launchers or anything. I, I don't like launchers with a small pup at all. Okay. Yeah. I think it's, I think they're intimidated by it. Hmm. Um, and I think you can really, in fact, I know I've seen some pups that were started too young on launchers and they were a little bit timid puppies sure and they become scared of the launcher and because they're scared of the launcher now they're scared, scared of, of birds the, yeah yeah pigeons so, or yeah, whatever it might be right so yeah so i don't do if i'm going to do launcher work i wait until they're a little bit older okay. um but but you you know anyway so, so you're so just so everyone understands so so you're dizzying the bird putting it in a bush mm-hmm. or sagebrush and then you're, you're basically giving yourself an extension pole right yes. to kind of pop kind of mm-hmm. touch that bird and, mm-hmm. okay yeah I call it a pigeon flicker. So you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> we're we going to see that on Amazon later. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe we'll market them. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And that obstacle between downwind from the bird is super important because if you've got a puppy that's just going to charge in and catch it, you can identify that and have plenty of time to flick that bird out of harm's way, especially if you're using your racing homers and you don't want them, sure. you know, beat up some, I know there's some trainers that would just let that bird or that dog dive in and, and catch that bird. But uh, sure. I don't, I think it causes me work later. So I try to avoid sure. that. Sure. But anyway, that's, that's good, man. That's good. When, when will you put your birds or you're not your birds, your, uh, your, your young pups on wild birds then is that, you know, when they're ready a year to like, when, when's kind of the general right timeline for you? So if it's hunting season, I will gun break them as quickly as I can. That's, that's using the wrong words. I'm not going to rush through gun breaking, sure. but I will gun break them younger than most people, just even with chasing and tossing pigeons and, um, I'll desensitize them around food, Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, some loud noises in the background. I think most people have heard of that technique and there's a lot of trainers that, you know, poo poo that idea, but, uh, with house dogs, it works pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had a couple Sunny, uh, one of my dogs was super noise sensitive when she was a puppy and, and we, you know, completely desensitized her. Yeah. through that method food, so yeah. anyway as they're eating yeah. food you, yeah they're distracted oh, by the ways food. away yeah hit a, hit a pot together mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's we worked, just, that's worked we just, really well yeah we just well. clap i had my wife clap and i watched the dog and if yeah. she shows any signs of concern we you know we you know soften it up or whatever mm-hmm. anyway but i gun break them and that that's the important thing and then i take them on tag along hunts nice. you know short, if they're small, just short little jaunts and maybe a half hour or something. If they're older, like four or five months, heck they're probably hunting. So, um, you know, they can, they can go a little bit longer, but I like to get them in on wild birds as, as young as possible. I mean, if, if I'm driving down a dirt road and I've got a young pup with me and there's a grouse that walks across the (laughs) road down, (laughs) yeah, put them down, you know, and nothing bad can happen there. You know, so um, anyway, so as early as possible, I want them to know nothing about everything in life. There's always birds. Sure. Birds are part of life yeah. and part of our life. And so uh, that's cool. Thanks. Thanks for walking us through that. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. My pleasure. 
Um, let's, let's turn the corner a little bit into field trials and Nastra and what, I guess, what kind of originally pulled you towards Nastra? Uh, did you try any other trials or tests? Did you kind of just know you wanted to get into that or how'd that come about? So I mean, when I was young, I, I came from a, a background where I was always struggling when I was in my you know late teens and twenties. And my, I mean, I was trying hard to gather enough food to, uh, or enough money, excuse me, to buy a bag of old Roy at Walmart mm-hmm. to, to put these dogs together. I didn't have electric collars. I mean, I had a piece of twine, you know, it was a lead rope. Uh, it was, it was, you know, a different time. Sure. Um, as I got older, you know, I, I had more expendable income and I started thinking about, uh, it would be fun to compete in trials. And I was starting, you know, I had had a fair amount of dogs by then. And I was starting to think that I, kind of understood dogs a little bit. And anyway, I thought it'd be fun to compete. So I went out to an Astra trial. Uh, it was out by Howell and I had a young setter. Uh, she was actually my wife's. If my wife listens to this and I don't give her credit for the dog, I'll be in, in trouble. <laughs> of course. Um, her, her name was Molly. Anyway, um, we went out and watched this trial and, and my first take from it was, I don't know, you know, it seems kind of whatever. And it turns out this Molly dog didn't show me the types of things that I thought I needed to compete. Mm. Uh, if I had to do it again, I probably would have ran her because she probably, she would have done really well, but I didn't, <laughs> you know, I, I thought I knew more about trials than I did. What I really knew about was bird hunting. Um, and so the next dog that I got, um, it was happened to be tick. Um, and, uh, I bought tick with the idea that, you know, if you're going to get into trialing, you probably ought to do it. I'm starting to get a little older. Um, anyway, so I bought a, that's why I bought a dog out of Nastra hall of fame stuff. Right. And, um, I went, I, you know, I, I raised him up a little bit and at certain age, he was a bird finder, man. He was finding wild birds. And I thought, well, let's, let's dive in. So I joined Nastra and entered my first trial. I didn't go right in a, on a four wheeler or do any things you should do. Sure, I just, sure. let's jump just, in let's and we'll try it. Trial, trial by fire. Yep. So we went down there and I drew a Weimaraner in my first run. And I thought my dad was out of short hairs. He was raising Weimaraners. I didn't think too much of them at the time. <laughs> uh, Weimaraners he had, I didn't think too much of them. And I knew to get out hunting any of them. And I thought, you know, this is going to be easy. <laughs> well, we ate a lot of that, that, that Weimaraners at that time. He, he wasn't a champion yet, but he was, he ended up being the first Weimaraner to champion in Nastra. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, his name is Boomer by Matt Blockovich. Anyway, um, they gave us a licking and, and, and it, you know, I had an okay time and, uh, you know, I walked away going, I don't know if this is something I want to do or not. I think I was expecting it to be the same type of feeling as hunting. Mm. And it took me, I, I, I decided to run in another trial. And it took me through that second trial before I realized, Hey, this is more like soccer football or something. This mm-hmm. is not hunting. Yeah. And so, and, and I, I was a soccer coach. I coached soccer for 20 years and played soccer my whole life anyway. So I related it to that. Uh, this is a game. So I've got to learn how to play this game. Yeah. So tick and I, we went on this journey to learn how to play the game and uh, poor tick. He had to deal with, with my, with my rookiness and, and of course he didn't, you know, he's just a young pup. He was, well, he was two or three by the time I was running him. And anyway, we really struggled and, 
And I was started to wonder if he had what it takes, you know, cause it, in my mind at that time, there was a certain kind of dog that went, would win and no other dog could, you know, and, um, I, I think quite a bit differently now, but, um, anyway, after the first year we hadn't, we didn't have a single placement and I started to get pretty frustrated. Mm. Of course the guys, you know, they were encouraging me and everything. Yeah. And, and then he got one placement. Um, I think it was the, the last trial of the second year, if I remember correctly. Mm. And that put us in the regional. He went, competed in the regional, didn't do anything. And then the very first trial of the next year, he won a field. And then he went on this terror where he won a trial every single trial weekend and one high point dog got into the um, regional and won the regional. And yeah, I guess I was hooked at that point, but um, anyway, he, he went on to have a great trial career, ended up as a four-time champion, won wow. two regionals. I, I think he was high point dog three times or two times. I can't remember, wow. but, but ended up being quite a dog. And um, that was that first regional win was super special to me. So. Yeah, that, that had to be really cool. It was. Thanks, thanks for sharing that perspective because I think that's a really good learning. I think, like you, like you kind of said, it's a different feeling than hunting is. It, it is. just is, and I'm glad you named that and said that yeah. because even I, I've, I've tried a couple. I've tried mostly Nashra now. I've done mm -hmm. several events, loved it. Um, I've done a hunt test, done some other horseback trials and stuff. So I've tried a couple different things. Sure. When I first started, I, I had this like oh, is this it? Like, is this how it feels? And it took me, I think a little bit of what you're describing, like, oh, this is a, this is a game. It's a competition. A mm -hmm. My mind has to be different. The, the dog, like, it's just different. And I think just it naming is. that's important. Yeah. And you know, your first impression of a pen raised Bob White quail that stands up and walks around and the dog is like, how challenging is this? Sure. But when you, then you realize after you've done it for a minute, that yeah. getting a dog to stand through a, a pen raised Bob White walking underneath his feet yeah. is, uh, is takes a little more effort than yeah. getting a dog to stand for a pheasant that's hidden in the bush or whatever, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. anyway, so, so that's really what, what, how I progressed with it is, is, is that, and I didn't, I didn't choose horseback trials simply because of the horse. Yeah. Uh, I grew up my, my dad who raised the short hairs, he also had horses and I, I don't mind horses so much, but yeah. the toxic substance that they eat is really bad for me. So yeah. I'm allergic to hay. So, oh no. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't enjoy being around. Oh, I'm sure around that too much. Um, although I was, like, I, I was like toxic substance. I was like, what yeah. the heck do they eat? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, man, I have so much respect for those guys and, and especially they're looking for a different dog, you know, than, sure. than, than you and I are, um, yeah. maybe not a different breeding even so much because i the dogs that i run are all age bred sure for the most part in nastra which is you know maybe a different line of thinking than some people but it works for me uh anyway uh but i i would love to someday be able to overcome my thing and 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 try some of those yeah. you know big stake trials i think it would be fun totally totally yeah no, it's been, it's been fun to try some different, different variations of trials and hunt tests yeah, and stuff. I think it's good to, cause again, you have ideas of what they are, but until you run them or, or just even see them, yeah, um, yeah, you get to experience them a little differently. Yeah. Research for the book. I had to go ride a horse and that was a new experience for me too. Cause I hadn't <laughs> been on a horse for a long, long time oh, wow. and I haven't never done it very much. And, uh, uh so I went and rode a, uh, in a trial and watched a bunch of dogs run and learn nice. some things. Anyway, that's cool. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so talking on Nestra, what are, what are some things It's kind of a, a two ended question. What are some things that 
you think Nasher does really well, maybe for the new hunter, for the new trialer or anyone. And what are some things you think they could, could improve on Nasher as a whole organization competition? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I could only speak for, cause I really only compete here. I'm not that serious sure. about it. So, I mean, I've had a lot of success, but I don't really try. I don't really have the means to travel to national competitions and, okay. and stay for a week. And I, I mean, I'm going to take my vacation to hunt birds. I don't want to sure. go to a trial anyway. So I don't, I don't on the national level, I can't really speak too much. Um, I would say locally, I think the things that we do well here are, I think we're very inclusive. I think we we're very inviting of new people. Um, I think we do a pretty good job of that. Um, I think sometimes, uh, certain individuals within the, the group as within any group, um, they become a little bit of an outcast for you know, maybe the wrong reasons or something. And maybe it's, uh, maybe we should try to uh, invite them back in, um, rather than, you know, uh, push them away. Um, I don't know, for the most part, I think. I think Nastra here in Utah, we do a pretty good job. Um, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some ugliness. I've seen some politics. Um, I'm not a person that uh, I don't judge it how you see it. I'm never going to get upset with a judge, but you know, I think when someone gets upset with a judge, it's very toxic. I don't like that at all. I've seen that a few times. Um, Mostly it's, it's, you know, it's a competitor thing. I mean, we, our competitive nature sometimes takes over. Maybe we get a little bit, you <laughs> sure. know, and, and I'm a competitor too, man. I, yeah. I like to compete and, yeah. uh, you know, and it's easy to, uh, to let, I don't know if I'm answering your question very well. No, probably, no, it's probably, probably politic in it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's good. Yeah. Again, you're, you're answering it pretty much. It's just you're, right. from your experience, from maybe mm-hmm. your, your region that you're competing in, you know? Yeah. And so I think that makes sense. I hear we're more friendly than some other regions. Uh, I suspect that it probably has to do with, with much, you know, that pol- political thing that, that can, sure. I've seen it try to get hold here and I've seen, um, you know, I've seen some things that were really, uh, really ugly. Fortunately, uh, it hasn't ever gotten too bad. And most of the people are really not even aware of it. So (laughs) that's that's a good, that's a good thing. And you guys are, you guys are still growing pretty well, or at least you, you, you have been growing pretty well. I know I talked to Jared, uh, Jared Haddock, uh, several episodes ago. Mm -hmm. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it sounds like your your region has grown quite a bit. I feel it has. Well, I think, you know, and the NAVDA group here is, is grown too. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can't, I mean, there was most of the time that I've been in Nastra filling a trial was challenging. Hmm. You know, sometimes we were on the phone calling people, Hey, bring your dog out. You know, we need, we need another dog. Uh, and then all of a sudden, and it, I don't know, I can't explain it. I can't hmm. explain why it ha- happened just about the time, just before the pandemic, it started to, to grow. And then during the pandemic, it just, it just boomed. Uh, our trials are filling in like, you know, less than 30 minutes. Yeah. When, when yeah they, I, I, I tried to get in on a couple of those. I, I got in on one yeah. or two and I had to, I had to cancel for some other reasons, but oh, um, um, they're filling up in like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 30 minutes. Or yeah. So. And, and NAVDA's having the same problem, you know, and everybody on the, on the, I'm watching the NAVDA page, the Utah uh, version of NAVDA here and, and everybody's getting upset, you know? And I mean, but there's only so much manpower to run so oh, yeah. many events yeah. and, 
And so anyway, I haven't heard that ugliness in, in the Nastra group, but, but it is hard to, to get in. And there's some people that are, have played for a long, long time that we're not seeing very much just because they're not sure. getting in. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it has to do with technology and they're not oh. maybe getting on the computer everything. fast enough or yeah. Yeah. And, and so they're not as connected to their phone as maybe I am or, or Jared is or some of the other guys. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's good. That's good and bad. That's, that's I mean, it's good. You're getting newer people in, which is awesome. But, yeah. You know, but it, it's more it challenges too. The, yeah. That, that old core, you know, we'd yeah. like to see those guys come out too. I mean, Absolutely. they're my friends. You know? Absolutely. So, and they got some great advice and great stories. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they're a lot of fun. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I've, I've more fun with the, the little bit older guys and just picking their yeah, brains right. and listening to their sure. jokes. And that's, that's the fun right. part. <laughs> yeah. Especially the really bad ones, right? Oh, the, of course. The ones, the, ones, the ones that someone of a younger generation might not <laughs> exactly You're like, Ooh, can I, can I laugh at that? <laughs> exactly. You look around. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, kind of last thing on Nastra is I guess with, with, um, I don't know how I phrase this, this question really, but with like, what, what makes a, a great dog in Nastra? Like what makes a, a, just an amazing field champion dog? In your, in your, in your point of view, whether it's like, whatever it might be. So I've had two, what I would call really great dogs. One's nothing like some of these guys that run nationals that have nine, 11 time champion, but I've got a five time champion and a four time champion and they're completely opposite dogs. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think the important thing is, isn't it, isn't that it's a big running dog or a close working dog or anything, but it's, first of all, they need to be a bird finder. Um, they need to find birds when no one else finds birds. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they need to score on the birds they find. I see so many dogs that find enough birds to win, but they only score on about half of them mm-hmm. because they're not quite to the, the steadiness level or, you know, they're running through birds, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so they have to be bird finder and they have to, um, they have to, you know, be uh, able to score on those birds. Um, the two opposites, my, my tick dog, tick would run off of me and he would handle really well. And he was super interactive and, and he and I won trials together. Sonny's quite the opposite. Sonny takes the field on her own mm. and I'm only there to shoot birds. She, most of the time will stay in bounds, but, but I'm only there to shoot birds. That being said, she covers the field really well and she scores on every single bird she finds. Mm. So that, those are the, so that, that's what I would tell people, um, you know, and, and if you're leaving points out there, you need to figure out that's, that's how you evaluate your master dog. Am I, you know, after a trial, go home, say, what am I leaving out there? You know, and, and, and be honest with yourself about who your yeah. dog is. A lot of people are they're in denial about who their dog is. They think their dog is steady and maybe that's not the case. Sure. Um, what did you leave out there? Did your dog run over a bird? Was it just a case of the wrong side of the wind or was there something that, that you can work on to, to, yeah. so that he scores on it next time? Yeah. Um, how's your backing? Did he blow on a back? Did he, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, that's, is that's, your that's my, that's the other my dog. dog. He, he blows is off it? backs. Yeah. He blows off oh, yeah. backs. Like, I'm, I'm like, Oh, there's some bonus points. You could, you could pull off there. Yeah. So frustrating, especially yeah. when you, you know, when you miss out on a placement or something by two or three points and sure. you, you blew a back and, you know, I, I, I missed out on the final round of the regional probably this year because mm-hmm. I blew, cause my dog blew a back. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know that he would have been in, but he would have been awfully close. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, 
So yeah, I mean, but there's always something to work, even with a, with a great dog, there's always, I can come away and I go, you know, gosh, we sure left that out there. We, or it, maybe it's you, we didn't get up into that far corner and we, you know, maybe we should have gotten into that corner fat, you know, but, but evaluate your runs and, and, and be an honest critique of uh, not only your dog, but your handling of your dog. Yeah. Um, and if you do that, I think you'll have a lot more success. Oh, that's such good. That's yeah. such good advice, Brett. <laughs> that's gold right there. Thanks. Thanks. That's really good. Um, well, Hey, what's this, what's this book you wrote? A million, a millionaire's dream. Oh, what's, what's this all about? Uh, how'd, how'd this start? <laughs> well, so I started, I didn't, I'm like the last guy in you know, the high school Clearfield class of 88. I'm like the last guy that you would have think would have, would have written a novel, but, um, somewhere in my life, I learned to write. Um, it had to do with early forms of social media, um, forums. I don't know. You're probably young enough that maybe forums weren't a thing in your day, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, forums were the thing before Facebook and before, sure. uh, Twitter and before all that. And, and groups of hunters would get on there and we'd tell stories and show pictures of our hunt, much like we do on social sure. media today, yes. but it was just, it was a little more locked down. And anyway, um, and you know, people kept telling me, man, you write such good story. You should write a book. And I'm like, all right. So I started a blog at some point and I wrote blog posts for a while. And I wrote, you know, a few, a handful of magazine articles, which I hated writing because <laughs> I, I had to stick with this format. And mm. anyway, and I, I kind of, you know, built my craft a little bit that way. And I wanted to write a book, but I didn't really want to write a book about hunting stories. I mean, I leave that to you know, like Andy Wayman likes to write hunting stories and he does so well at it. You know, yeah. I, I, but I don't, I just wanted to, I wanted some other vision. So anyway, I, um, I, I thought, uh, maybe I'd write fiction about guys like you and me who are into the types of things that we're into, because I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of movies about that type of thing. I don't read a lot of books about that type of thing. And I thought maybe there's a, there's a niche for that, not just for dog people, but, but you know, just anyone who's into the outdoors and, and, and loves dogs. So I, that was my first thought. And then I was up hunting in Idaho one day and on a piece of private ground. And I came upon this old homestead that I'd been to a bunch of times. And for whatever reason that day I, I walked in, I opened the door, walked in and you know, it's, it's all dilapidated and broken down. But I started wondering, I saw a few items that were left in the, one of the rooms and I thought, I wonder who the last person to live here before it became abandoned was. And the main character for this story came from that. And then I, you know, well, I wonder if he liked what I liked and how did he get into mm -hmm. it and what was his story? And so I, I conjured up this story that took place in the 1950s about a boy who didn't have much of anything. It was very lonely and uh, sort of serendipitously came upon this, this bird dog puppy. It happens to be an English setter. And, um, he meets a mentor from the city who runs in field trials and, and this guy sort of mentors him and, and sort of gives him a leg up in life a little bit. And, mm. and the kid works, works hard and, 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 um, together they go on to try to, the kid can do some things for, for this very wealthy man from the city that he can't do. And the wealthy man does some things for the kid that he has no way of doing without him. And together they become sort of strange bedfellows. And they, anyway, they, they go on to try to win this, this big fictitious field trial, mm. um, that I sort of invented. And, um, anyway, 
hopefully it's a, it's a fun That's run cool. along the way. He, yeah, along the way he has trouble with girls. I'm sure you never had any trouble with girls. I, <laughs> no, I struggle no with one girls ever has. A bit. No one ever has. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, he has trouble with girls and bullies and, you know, there's a lot of thought to learn along the way. So anyway, I wow. hope people like it. That's fantastic. When did, when did you release this? October 13th of last year. Oh, so, so pretty recent. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Very recent. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know what to expect. It's my first novel. So yeah, uh, I've I, been, cannot, I've been, I cannot wait to dive in. So I've, I've been yeah. eagerly, eagerly waiting to get my hands on it. So I'm excited. Yeah. So did it come to you? Did not it, yet. Did you get it yet? Not yeah. yet. Oh, it hasn't there yet. Not yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't check the mail today. It could be there today. Okay. So fair we'll, enough. We'll, yeah. We'll I should, take, I we'll thought it was supposed to be there Friday. Stupid mail. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, everything takes forever. <laughs> yes. I'm, yeah. I'm very, very excited to uh, crack that open. Oh, good. And I, ho- I hope you enjoy it. Absolutely. There's a, I was looking at the cover. Is that one of your dogs on the cover? I'm curious. Yeah, is that- it is. So okay. the publisher, so to secure publishing for a first time author, as you might imagine, is more than challenging. Oh, it's gotta um, be. And yeah. And it, it, there was a the whole thing. Uh, we sent, you know, my, when I say we, my wife was of course my biggest cheerleader and she's always pushing me all the way. And anyway, she, I was going to just, I put the final period on it to me. It was done. I was, you know, let's write something else. But, you know, she's like, now nah, we got to get it published. I'm like, okay. So anyway, we went through this whole thing and, and a publisher that didn't have any background in bird dogs or outdoor f- anything um, picked it up. Mm. And so when we got to the cover part, um, they don't know anything about my world and they're sending me pictures of bench setters and, and, you know, yeah. all these show dogs. And, <laughs> and, like, not quite. Try again. <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah. And I, um, if I'm honest, I kind of got a little bit frustrated after the, and I'm sure they were too. I'm sure they were getting frustrated with me. And so I grabbed uh, the dogs and I took off before daybreak one morning and sat a dog on the hill. It happens to be rocks and, and, and took rocks picture. And that's the picture that's on the cover. So I just that's added cool. a filter too. And oh, yeah. there, there we are. That's, so, that's anyway. special. That's special. Get your own yeah. bag like that. That's yeah, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That is cool. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, I better say this. He's my wife's dog. Right? Oh, that's I'm right. Really that's right. If Rox I don't say is... that. So, Rox is my wife's dog. Okay. <laughs> um, Brett, as, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, <laughs> it's, that's it's a serious right. thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, as, as we wrap up here, uh, last two things I'd like yeah. to do. Um, this is kind of, kind of the, the hit home question um, sure. for the, the rookie out there, for the rookie uplander, bird hunter, uh, maybe someone just picked up a new bird dog. Like what's, what's a piece of advice that you would give someone uh, just starting out? Well, um, first of all, I mean, you guys do all your research. The newer hunter, he doesn't have any trouble finding information on the internet. Sure. The part that he has trouble with is getting out there and just doing it and then doing it for long periods of time. I see so many new guys, they go out, they spend a couple hours in the woods. They don't see anything and they come home and they're, you know, they didn't see anything. Spend a day, man, hike all day. Um, take a lunch with you, you know, um, spend some time boots on the ground, dogs on the ground. Uh, that's the only way you're going to learn. It just is. I mean, I can tell you whatever, you want to know about bird habits and stuff, but without actually putting boots on the ground and, and hiking and, and you're going to be in the wrong place sometimes, but if you stay out there long enough, eventually you're going to come across something good. Yeah. And you're going to so, walk away learning something too. 
Yeah. Yeah. If even if it's, well, they're not there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's you learn something. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's good. I like that a lot. Thank you. All right. Um, rapid fire round. I am just going to ask you a few questions and just give me your kind of off the cuff answer. And, um, if you need to expand on anything, feel free, but we'll, uh, we'll take it from there. All right. (laughs) Okay. So this is uh, a little bit newer question. I've been trying out on some folks, uh, for you, what came first, the gun birds or hunting? Wow. Um, I guess it would have probably been hunting because I wasn't old enough to have a gun. (laughs) 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 And I certainly didn't know what birds we were looking for, but I was just tagging along with my dad and, you know, anyway. Yeah. So I would say the hunting. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like it. Thank you. Um, It's kind of a fun one. How many clays have you ever hit in a row? So I don't know the answer to that. I know I've never shot 25 straight, but I, I've shot 24 sometimes, but I don't remember if it was 24 straight or if I missed one in the middle. Okay. I'll tell you yesterday I shot a, uh, I bought this Fox Sterling worth that I had just had some work done on. I'd never shot it before. And I took it out and I missed the first three targets and then ran 22. <laughs> oh, so that's probably the most I've hit in a row. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, but, we'll go 22. We'll lock, we'll lock yeah. that answer in. <laughs> I like the gun though. So that's good. That's I, good. I, I hated it. The hated it. The first three shots, but it, oh, I'm it, sure somehow... <laughs> you start getting your head a little bit going, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Maybe I don't ex- want this. Is this an expensive yeah, mistake? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm calling uh, well, it my favorite mistake. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, this leads me into my next question. What, uh, what sure. gun are you carrying into the field and why? So, um, I mean, I have at this point in my life, I have plenty to choose from, but there is a, um, I'm a Browning guy. I like Brownings. Um, and I really like Browning Satori's hmm. pretty much any Browning Satori with 14 and a quarter inch length of pool. They're all basically the same measurements, drop at Coleman Hill. Um, I shoot pretty well with the one specifically that if, if my life depended on shooting this next bird, you know, we've got to heal it or we've got, to, if we don't hit this bird, we're going to, we're all going to die. The world's <laughs> going to end. Yeah. Um, I'm carrying a, it's a, it's a Browning, um, five twenty five feather. It's a 12 gauge. It's about a six and a six and pounds, 11 ounce, uh, 12 gauge. I call oh, it nice. Cindy and Cindy's my gun. <laughs> Cindy, Cindy mm-hmm. title of this episode. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was looking for those little nuggets. I'm like, what can I title? For sure. These? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know what you call it. Oh gosh. Um, are, are you pretty much a 12 gauge guy or you get into the twenties no. or anything? No, I love a 16 gauge okay. a lot. I, I'm, I'm not crazy about 20 gauges. I, I've had a bunch of them, but I just recently got a 20 gauge. I actually like, Okay. but for the, I'd rather shoot a 16. I really like shooting 16 gauge. Nice. Um, one I've ounce never, of never shot sixes. 16. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. I mean, I heard, you know, you hear everything about different gauges and stuff, but, but, and I love a 16. So that's cool. Um, it just so happens that the gun I carry most of the time is a 12 gauge because ammunition's cheaper sure. and yeah. So yeah, anyway. that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Try uh, a 16. Yeah. I need to, I need to, it's on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, a couple more favorite dog breed besides the ones you've owned. So no Brittany, no setters. So where are we going to go with this? Uh, <laughs> no setters at all. No, no, no red setters. I'm, I'm calling them just all um, setters. Okay. Um, let's go out of the box. How about Labrador? Wow. I love a good lab. Good, yeah. good, so I'm going to go all water. I'm going to, I'm going to go all waterfowl on you and say, <laughs> classic I just lab. love, I just love a, a black Ooh. lab. 
um, sitting in the blind with me. Um, uh, yeah, I, I love a good lab. That, my waterfowl classic. friends are cheering. My upland friends are oh, to beat me yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we've divided the whole podcast now. <laughs> we've divided them. Nah, oh no, there's a there's somebody classic lab, and I yeah. I, I, I someone's going to correct me on this. I think you might be the first guest to ever say lab on this. Show. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, Fair enough. I, I mean, it's special um, though. I mean, being, yeah, being the yeah. first. I hunted over over a, a little Vizsla one time that was pretty awesome too. I guess I I like I like them all though. I like I know I know breed it's, that I don't it's like. tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's that's good. Well, you, you just reminded me we never got into your duck calling. Oh yeah. Oh. Well, you, did you even know about it? Oh, well, most, I, most people I, have forgotten by this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess I saw something on your social media when I stalked you a while back. Oh right, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I blew a call for a long time. That's um, cool. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, you were you were a duck calling champion, weren't you? You yeah, I, I, I won, uh, I won Utah state. I don't know how many times Dang. my wife would sit here and go, tell me how many, but I won Utah state a bunch of times. <laughs> I've been back to the world championships eight times. No, you have to call the world the championships. And, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's right. In Stuttgart, Arkansas. Wow. Oh my yeah, gosh. It happens every Thanksgiving and, and has happened every year with the exception of the pandemic year since. Wow. Well, and I think they missed a year for world war two. Other than that, um, oh it's been every year and, and I am very mediocre. I, I've never played oh, yeah, right. 19th in the world. So yeah, right. Oh my gosh. I'd like to go back. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too old now, but um, anyway, <laughs> that's an art it, form. It was, that is an art uh, form. It, Watching it, it truly is. People call, make these calls and oh my gosh. And you, you watch a, a contest caller um, blow his routine and you think, man, that doesn't sound like ducks. But he's not, he's, I mean, he's trying to sound like ducks, but really he's running that, that duck call like a musical instrument. Yeah. And it's, it's, he's running it to the top of the scale and the bottom of the scale. And let me tell you, it is, I mean, I spent what, 24, 25 years trying to master it. And I'm not sure I ever did. So, I mean, it's, (laughs) you know, how many waterfowlers are out there though? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trying to blow on that thing. Yeah. And if you're born and it's geographic too, if you're born in Arkansas, you're born with a duck call in one hand and a shotgun yeah, in the other, exactly. maybe not out in the West, maybe that's not the case. No, but, no definitely not so, in Illinois. Yeah. It's a fun sport. And I'd say the same thing about that as I would in Astra, you know, yeah. that's how you make friends. That, sure. You know, I have friends all over the country from blowing that's in cool. calling yeah. contests. So. All right. Just two more questions anyway. here. Uh, favorite sure. bird to hunt and why? Well, many of my fellow Utahns, they get mad at me for this, but I love hunting pheasants. Mm. And the reason I love hunting pheasants is because they're such turds to pointing dogs. I mean, they are, <laughs> they're, they, they, they're brutal. Tough, they are brutal to a pointing dog. Yeah. But if you get a pointing dog um, that's really seasoned in hunting pheasants, uh, there is nothing more pleasurable than hunting a wild pheasant in a CRP field or something mm-hmm. thin cover where the bird can run and a dog that just knows how to best them. Uh, you've done something when you've beaten up an old rooster in a, in a, in thin fields with, uh, with a good dog. That is um, special. And I've, I've been blessed with it with a few. Yeah. You, I hope you have too. It is special yeah. for sure. It's, and it doesn't come together all the time, but when it does, no, but, but I, like that, that's pointing what makes dogs. It. That is, that is what makes it yeah. and like pointing dogs. I love all the birds. Um, there's none that I don't like to hunt, but yeah. pheasants are going to always be special to me. I love it. So they're not a challenging it. target, but getting them in the air in the right circumstance and pointed is challenging. 
Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I mean, well, speak for yourself about easy target. Last year I was okay. I, I, I hit a fair share. The year before I could not hit a pheasant if it was five yards in front of me. It was, it was, it was so bad. It was oh, so bad. I last year, I hope your buddies were teeth. Were your buddies oh, giving you a hard time? Oh, hundred percent. You, because you have to at that oh, point. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was. It's so like bad. your responsibility as a friend. Yeah, exactly. Give your body it's, a hard you're, time. You're not actually a friend. You're not, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So bad. Um, last question here: uh, beverage of choice after a hunt. Well, in Utah, <laughs> hunts tend to be pretty. Uh, pretty vigorous exercise. <laughs> so really all you want is to, is a, a tall drink of water, <laughs> tall glass but, of water. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, once that's done on a cooling off, I, I, I'm a gin and tonic, man. I, I can go for some, some good whiskey too, but I, I, okay. I drink a gin and tonic. All right. All right. That's, that, that's the final answer. We'll, we'll lock it cool. in there. That's awesome. Fair Brett. enough. Brett, like what, it, uh, what's the best way for people to, I guess, follow along your story. Maybe where's the book at, where can they get this book as well? Yeah. So, um, Amazon. And uh, I mean, hopefully when you post this on social media, if you'll put a link to Amazon, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd love to, um, amazon.com. You, I have a little website set up with a shop, but if you want the book signed, you order from brettwanacott.com. Okay. Um, I'll sign every paperback oh, nice. copy that comes, comes through my hands. So if you okay. want it signed order there, um, it's going to cost a little bit more because I can't compete with Amazon, but wait, um, what you anyway. can't, can't compete with Amazon. Two day, two day <laughs> no, free shipping. Little, and... my, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, you buy it, I, you know, yeah. I still get mine. So I'm happy for that. And you can follow me on social media. I'm, you know, I'm not a big Twitter guy. I, I never learned to tweet, but I am uh, you know, I'm all over Instagram and, and all over Facebook. And, um, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, okay. So fantastic. Anyway, get get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Brett, thank you so much for just, just sharing your wisdom, sharing your story, uh, more about you. And, and I think I learned a lot, I know for sure. And so thanks for carving this, carving this time out. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I, I, I like your podcast. I like your, your approach with the up one rookie thing. Cause thank you I think there's much. a lot of people that, I think there's a lot of people that benefit from, from that type of thing. So thank you very good much for Brad. you, man. Good on you, man. I appreciate it. Well, you we'll be in touch soon and uh, maybe I'll have to get out to Utah sometime and uh, try to connect. Look me up. Absolutely. Me up, Brad. We'll, we'll have some fun. Yeah. All right. You take care. You too. All right, everyone, that's a wrap of episode 48 with Brett Wanacott. Brett, thank you so, so much. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, hearing more about your journey uh, into upland hunting and all that you got going on uh, and the impact you're having with uh, youth around this, uh, around this country and uh, just inspiring them to get out there, uh, show them what uh, chasing upland birds is all about. Thank you so much. Hey guys, don't forget to share this episode with a friend, rate and review on Apple uh, Podcasts uh, or Spotify, as well as head over to patreon.com slash the Upland Rookie Podcast. Uh, sign up to become a Patreon patron and uh, get uh, entered into some sweet giveaways we have coming up here, uh, including the Gunner Fan Kit 2.0 from Gunner Kennels. Hey, remember, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care. <laughs>